Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the Adept Initiative is the place to go. The Adept Initiative is the flagship course on magic.me, and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You are really going to dig it. Go check it out, and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. Yo, yo. Hey, what's up, man? Are you out in Joshua Tree? Yeah, I've been out here for, I don't know. Just hold up out here until, I don't know. It just seems like the right place for me to be right now. Until the end of the zombie apocalypse? Mm -hmm. Or until the start. I'm not sure like at what stage we're in it right now, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, Speculate, if you will. What stage are we in it? Yeah. Um, You know, maybe we're sort of like, you know, somewhere between the first and the second act of the movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of just like, it's a slow start. But like, you know, we haven't really hit that sort of like arc where it's like, all right, cool. Now this movie's getting action packed. Got it. Yeah. You're just, you're just waiting for your time to shine. Yeah. Like no, full <laughs> cre- we haven't had the creature revealed yet. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, we don't know what's going on, but like, finally, like, you know, there's people talking about it, but we're like, those people are crazy. And then finally we see it and we're like, oh shit, it's real. Well, Texas is nice, man. There's no apocalypse here. It's, this I, is mean, I, keep hearing, I keep hearing good things. So. Yeah, but uh, so how is how is Los Angeles these days? It's so funny. I try and spend as little time there as possible. And I've just sort of come to this conclusion that, you know, obviously, you know, the California is a fucked up place politically, but so is the whole world for the most part. Um, and the one thing I will say about California is it is one of the most beautiful parts of the world geographically uh, that I've ever seen. So it's like, yeah it's tough to just turn my back on it because the politics suck. And I do honestly feel like there's a way to, to carve out a space for yourself anywhere. That's like enough of an autonomous zone that like you sort of live impervious to the rest of it. And that's sort of what the desert has been for me. So, you know, I like it still, Um, you know? Yeah. Well, if you're in Joshua tree, I feel like that's probably cool. I mean, I, uh, that's, that's very magnanimous of you though. I, my personal feelings about California is that it has betrayed me and my heart is cold to it and I will never return to it. Even though I grew up there and I've spent most of my life there, the nature is beautiful, obviously, but I got to tell you like 2020 driving around when everything was on fire, I I had this moment where I was like, literally the nature is the only thing good here and everything is covered with smog and smoke right now. Which is sort of how I ended up out here in the first place. You know, during the pandemic, we ended up writing our, our what is could be our fourth record now um, out here. And I just, after I moved out here, I just, going back to Los Angeles, it became like 
so apparent. Like, I don't know, like when you're there, it's sort of like the frog, like in warm water, heating up to hot water type of thing. Yeah. You almost notice because it's such a gradual pace of like where it just turns to shit. But then you come out here for a year and then when you go back like the anxiety in that place is palpable you really yeah. feel it so i mean obviously i still have to go back for certain things like we just shot a music video i was there last week um and yeah you feel it you're just like this place isn't what it used to be um and it sucks because i really do i really did like it you know i even thought there was great things about los angeles yeah. that were to me like it was a special place and the quality of life was great it was like it was affordable. Los Angeles was wonderful. I moved there literally the day Obama was elected from from Reykjavik, and I I uh, Los Angeles was great, particularly for creative people, for young people. You could kind of coast. Everyone's super interesting. There's tons of awesome stuff to do. It's like great people. Uh, it was not nearly as expensive as New York, which is where I'm um, largely where I moved from, uh, and it was really really good for a long time there. And and whenever people would knock Los Angeles, I would just be like, okay, whatever, hater. Like you've never lived here, you don't know what it is. You're just reacting to something and that people have told you. But now, uh, yeah, I by the way, New York now for one, which is just insane. Like half the reason I don't like being there. You were just in New York, right? Well, I mean, no, just in. Other prices of rent are as comparable to New York now. It's like you're yeah. spending, you know, forty five hundred, five thousand dollars on rent plus all your LA. car fees, which you don't have in New York. Oh Jesus Christ, that was insane! My truck in 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 California is eight hundred dollars a year to insure to to just register. Not that doesn't yeah. count insurance. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's they just get you everywhere, and it's brutal. I'm a big believer though in that psychic blast zone thing uh, around a city, particularly Los Angeles. I was in joshua tree actually for 10 days doing a buddhist meditation retreat and it was like perfect mm -hmm. one of the best experiences of my life and then i just remember driving back to la with other students and just like slowly feeling like the iron curtains come down as, as i re-entered the hive and i also every time i drove south from la do you know that um when you drive south on the five there's like that big outlet shopping center that looks like a Babylonian palace or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? I've, I've never heard yeah. It's like, as you're going to like, uh, Anaheim kind of, yeah. Um, and Citadel, I think is what it's called actually. Okay, the Citadel. Yeah, that's right. Uh, every time I pass that, the LA psych, uh, L the LA noise stops. Like that's the, that's the demarcation point for me for some reason. And it's palpable. Yeah, I've always wondered why the aesthetic choice, like the sort of, you know, ancient Mesopotamian and like Assyrian gods were chosen for the sort of shopping center, um, which is funny because if you look at some of those sort of like Sumerian and Assyrian deities there, they look like they're holding shopping bags, but like they're just some sort of <laughs> thing that no one knows what it is, but right. maybe they're like, yeah, it looks like they're shopping. Uh, <laughs> well, I actually have a theory when I, I moved to LA. Uh, my theory is that all the psychic residue from the ancient world uh, that was left over from like Babylon and Mesopotam Mesopotamia and, and, and all that, like ancient Iraq, they just parked in Los Angeles for some reason because of the film industry or something like that. Uh, Interesting. How can I, can I back this up? No, not at all. But uh, it's just my personal, my personal. I like, I, I like the hunch. It sounds like something out of like a, a Grant Morrison graphic novel or something like that. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's always something, uh, you know, deeper behind all of it where you go, eh, we're connecting dots here. But they're just mostly hunches. Yeah. Well, LA is a weird place. I mean, it's like, cause it, it's kind of like Vegas where it shouldn't really exist. 
and it's run it has no history um yeah. pardon me it has no uh w- white european history there's lots of history there prior to prior to that um but it's not like cities in europe you know it's like there, where there's this kind of built up layers of architecture the history and the mythology of it is completely created by the entertainment industry or the gambling industry in las vegas and so it's just this thing created out of pure illusion which is interesting because i've always felt like being from boston which is a city with a tremendous amount of history the oldest city in the united states um where to me you know it's almost like the time in the history creates a sort of like gravity to the reality in a place whereas like los angeles has no gravity to its reality why people can essentially go out there and soar and create whatever world that they want and you know it's a double-edged sword because i see people just like go off the deep end like Mm. that as well but it is a great place to go and to dream big and you know no one's gonna squash your sort of idea and your crazy weird ambitious sort of pioneer dream of moving out there and you know, you tell people in, in Boston, you're going to move to LA and they're like, what are you joining the circus? Like, you know I mean, like it makes no sense to them. They're like, go work for your father. That's what you're supposed to do. You know I mean? Yeah. I was waiting for the, like, I was waiting for the Matt Damon, goodwill hunting accent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. I'm from the South shore as well. We're pretty thick, but okay. you know, I always say uh, I'm lucky enough to receive an education. So I, um, I don't have that that accent so okay um, you know you can educate yourself out of a boston accent like I said. got it okay um yeah i am i am definitely from, from i'm from san diego originally so uh it, it's a real it was really um painful to leave but i was kind of forced out i mean i don't know like i think i mentioned to you at some point it's like i kept trying to move and then i moved into a place that turned out to be a nuclear dump and just like every single door it's like one of those things i'm sure you've had this in your life where every time you try to walk through a door it slams in your face until you're just like okay i get the message yeah yeah or you're basically just like the signs are just like bombarding you and you're like all right i gotta do it you know i gotta make this i gotta make this decision finally um so you're 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 in austin i'm in austin yeah when you're loving it i love it there's a lot of cool stuff going on down there right now. Well, I never leave the house. So, you know, like the, the cultures, the, there is a lot of cool stuff going on here for sure. Um, people are super nice. Um, it's kind of like California, how California used to be in the, in the eighties or the nineties where it's like, it's just kind of like, it's just kind of relaxed. And, you know, obviously Texas has its own issues, uh, particularly right now. There's no place without their issues. And, and, you know, in many ways, uh, Austin, has very little to do with Texas at times as well. It's almost like it's yeah. a little on. So it's like it's little uh, republic within within Texas. Right. Um, it's funny. Somebody pointed out to me the other day. It's like there aren't when you're driving around Texas, which by the way is the size of Western Europe. Texas is the same size of from like the the west tip of the UK all the way to like Czechoslovakia, um, yeah, or Poland. It's nuts. Yeah. Um, but when you're driving around Texas, they don't put up street signs for Austin until you're like one exit away and then they say okay austin's here it's like they don't even direct you how to get to it on the freeways it's it's pretty funny yeah, they don't they don't claim austin in any way. even though it's the state capital which is funny i mean i've always had the best time there all throughout texas on tour some of our best shows um have been in texas historically for me just great crowds fun people um great food uh just overall energy um i got covid there last time i was oh. there which is um that was fun because there was zero covid regulation oh how was um, yeah how was that for you it was fun it was our, it was summer first going back it was uh october of 2020 when things were like oh mm. oh wait 
2020. I can't even keep October of last year. Um, so like everyone's like, yeah, pandemic's over, blah, 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 kind of like roughly over. Um, and then we we went to go play in, in Texas and just all got COVID. And that uh, sucks. That's awful. Yeah, it's it super sucks. We, we had to cancel the tour. We were like eight shows in. But I remember for all the Texas shows before the COVID really kicked in, I was like, man, it's like COVID never happened. This is the best time ever. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh I definitely know lots of people here who have gotten covid um and are vaccinated and all that but but um yeah it's definitely more lax around here people are much more willing to believe that it's part of brandon's liberal agenda and that covid is not yeah, real I mean, and all that like it's like uh it's like preserving the freedom of self-destruction is somehow also important to americans do you know what i mean like i, I will i, I will like, back that freedom <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's true though. It's like you know what I mean. Like you should be able to make the 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 choice to sort of self destruct if you choose to, and that's on you. Um, which is you know uh, probably a pretty radical view, but there's something. Well, I I agree. It's like, and I think that in life. I mean, if you ever, it's kind of like, it's kind of like trying to prevent people from self destruct is is kind of like trying trying to get in the middle of a couple fight. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like good luck with that. Yeah. And in many ways, it's also like the ultimate act of like self-liberation. Like, I feel like people generally like to self-destruct and not just physically, but, you know, sort of like emotionally and stuff. When they find themselves in situations where they're very constricted, they feel like there's no way out. And they just like, you know, what, I'm going to blow this thing up. Um, and I think that there's something to be said for that. And I think that you can even see it when, you know, Friday rolls around after you've been working a 50 hour week and people are like, let's go to the bar, rip cigarettes and drink about nine shots. And then they're just like, why do I do that? And you're like, cause that is the little bit of liberation psychically that you have within yourself, the choice to destroy and just sort of like, you know, reset it a little bit. Cause it's kind of what we got these days. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, I've definitely, I've definitely been in thinking back, I mean, there's been several times in my life where I have just felt trapped and I was just like, all right, fuck it. I'm just going to burn everything down around me. And leaving California was kind of I mean, one people, of them. People so. do it in relationships all the time. People do it in relationships. They're stuck in a relationship and they go do something that mm. they know will sort of be irreparable to destroy the relationship. And obviously this is not a mature way out of a relationship, no. but I do think people do. People it, feel, they feel closing in and they go out and they say, you know what, I'm going to go do something that, uh, will serve my own hand uh which in many ways i do think it's like it's it's your 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 mind telling you to like all right we need to do this but maybe there's sort of super conscious system going i can't do it because i'm safe this way and i gotta do that but you're like there's something in you that's like pulling you towards that sort of instinctual sort of liberating self-destruction at times which sometimes i feel that way about collective consciousness like, I feel like humanity does that at times. Yeah. That's super interesting. I want to, uh, let's dig into that in a couple points. I mean, I think that, because that's a really magical thing in a way. And, uh, you know, everyone thinks that magic is all about waving symbols in the air and all, all this nonsense, right? And it can be, and that's super fun, and it can get you in the mood. But, you know, um, <clears throat> it's interesting. I, uh, yesterday, I, I spoke to Matt Aron, who's written a a book wrote a book called psychic witch and one called mastering magic. Uh, and we had a really good conversation. He was talking about, he has kind of a tripartite model of the soul where you have like your normal consciousness, your, uh, unconscious, and then your super conscious. I mean, this is nothing controversial. And I think that in theory, the whole point of magic is to align your conscious and your super conscious, right? This is the idea of true will and all of this. And, 
yeah. the lemma. And, and that's really, you know, magic or not, that's really what all conscious people, particularly artists, right, are trying to do. Uh, and it's usually a struggle and nobody, I, at least in my experience, everyone's usually frustrated and, you know, it's, you don't really get it all at once. It's like, you really have to, um, you really have to keep working at it. But I have found in my own life, and I think that this is, uh, it's interesting that you bring this up, that it's like, if your your conscious mind can easily talk you into a trap, and that could be a relationship, it could be a job that you can't get out of, you know, it, like the classic example is like taking a job for security, uh, and then you find out you're trapped and you're just miserable and your, your, your super consciousness will just fuck it up for you. Right. And it seems awful at the time, but it's trying to, it's trying to move you along, I think. Yeah, no, I see it all the time. And you can see it with people that like, when they start to work a job that just maybe they're finally making good money. And it happens with people like, oh yeah, I'm making like, you know, you know, 80, 90, $100,000 a year. And then they start spending their money in ways and setting up things where like they need to make that income to sustain that life. And then what happens is they can never go back to making less money. So they sort of find themselves in these sort of like prisons of their own device where they're just like, okay, cool. I can only do this now and go this direction more, but then they don't have any time. They don't have any enjoyment. They're just sort of in that trap because they're like, well, if I can't make that car payment that I did, then I'm fucked. So it's like, you just can never quit their job. They stay in these safety nets and these comfort zones to sort of live in this sort of like life that is you're supposed to be living. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm trying to get the mortgage. I'm trying to get the credit score up. I'm trying to do all these things. But then deep down inside, there's like still that subconscious self-destruction for liberation thing that everyone's always contending with. And you hear it all the time. Like, dude, I need to quit my job. I fucking hate my job. But it pays me well. And it's something that I think a lot of people are constantly fighting with. I sort of feel like it's sort of like what might be causing like this sort of like nihilistic current of like sort of like Armageddon lust that everyone has right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're all sort of like, like we're crunched in these gears of like, okay, how do we get out of this? There's no vision of the future. We feel like we're trapped in something that really can't change. So we're all just kind of slightly hoping for the end of the world because it's easier to imagine the end of the world than there's a reasonable future so we just go maybe that's the way out we got to go through we got self-destruct and i think that's something that you know people don't really talk about much it's like we all feel it you know that's really interesting so yeah i definitely wanted to talk about that because you were kind of saying that that happens on a cultural level and i hadn't really considered that before um and obviously you know that's nothing new i mean the apocalypse narrative has been around since day one but you know, now it's like, I'm sure you, maybe you watched The Last of Us that was just out, that TV show. I have not, but I did play the video game. Oh, the video game's awesome. I love both video games. The show's pretty good, too. It's pretty much a shot-for-shot shot remake of the video game, although they took all the zombies and violence out, which is just like, and just focused it on relationships. It's like, what the hell? Where are the zombies? But uh, no, it was very good, though. Um, but so then the question is like, okay, well, like, what are people trying to get to? culturally you know it's like if you talk about it with the individual magically in theory there's like the true will you're trying to self-actualize and for most people just um identifying that is a huge uh, a big deal and it's an ongoing process and i think you kind of have to be forced through lots of these situations to figure it out and artists of course tend to be all over the place and change their mind a lot so there's that but culturally, it's like, okay, like, what, what, what are people trying to get to? Like, what is on the other end? What is on the other side of 
the apocalypse, you know? I think, you know what it is? And like, again, just a hunch. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm some guy out in the desert. Um, but I kind of feel like at its core, it might be a sort of collective energy. Do you know what I mean? Like we're so atomized. We're so individualized. Everyone thing. and Everyone's a sort of hyper individual now. And I think that you're starting to see it in weird ways. Like there's a resurgence of Christianity in younger people that I'm seeing. Is there? Like people just want to feel... I've I've seen it. Is this like the, like Jordan Peterson people or 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 yeah like yeah like Peterson you're listening to like the girls on Red Scare or something like that oh like yeah sort of like neo the neo trad <laughs> I mean so uh, embarrassing like that sort of like neo it is it is it's 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 silly to me but I think that at the core and you're seeing people feed off of like this desire for a collective energy again um, we've realized that sort of as we're atomized and sort of individualized things are much stronger when they're together. You know what I mean? And, and, and we're looking for communities. We're looking to feel belonging to something. And I think that like people just really crave that, you know, and especially coming out of COVID where it was just even, it was done even more. And that's why I think everyone's just getting pulled different sides to everything these days. It's like, Oh, what, what hyper niche internet culture are you part of? You know what I mean? And everyone's just looking to feel belonging to something. Unfortunately, I think digitally, you know, I don't think the culture on the internet is real. No. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, a, it's like basically, um, you know, a false egregore or something like that, where realistically, you know, people are looking for a real sense of community and in, in, in sort of tangible sort of tactile real life situations, as opposed to like, you know, oh, my, my, tw- the Twitter community, people say things like <laughs> I don't think Twitter is really a community. It's like 95% of those people are probably bots anyways. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're bots. And that's why it's like when you go online and you see like everyone just like hating each other and being super mean to each other. But realistically, if you go around the country, people are super nice. Yeah. And like people want to be nice to each other, you know, which I think is interesting. So I think people do want to feel, I don't know, like together. I feel like you know the whole situation's so dire that we just want to feel like hey at least we're in it together yeah um so until until something really bad happens and we're like you know making you know sort of small all communities again and people who are helping sustain each other through like symbiotic relationship which i feel like people might be craving a little bit i think so Um, so basically you're just saying that people are lonely yeah i don't know i just i think people are so like like there's like this sort of like digital ad nauseum sort of internet poisoned brain thing that I think people are really sick of. And like, it's so funny. I see it, you know, as a person who studies like sort of aesthetic trends and stuff like that, like there's this weird aesthetic trend where everyone's trying to dress like blue collar workers where oh, like this wearing is like workwear, like, Do like, you know Bruce, what I mean? like Bruce Springsteen albums. This is new to me. Yeah. So like people are all like wearing like uh Carhartt workwear and stuff like that. <laughs> Like going to their like, you know, Silicon Valley jobs or like their tech jobs or whatever. But I think everyone's just sort of just craving this concept of just being a construction worker with a flip phone. Do you know what I mean? Like they're so like, I hate my digital life. Sounds good, actually. Going outside, using your body. Yeah, exactly. And I think that like you're seeing that through the aesthetic trend first because people are just sort of like admiring that culture. Um, so I, I don't know. There's, there's just a lot of weird things going on that I've observed lately. That's interesting. I mean, obviously I'm being in Texas and not leaving the house. I'm not exposed to a lot of this. So any, um, 
what else have you been noticing? I mean, that, that in particular is one thing that I've just noticed where I think that people do just really want to sort of like, I mean, I crave it sometimes too. It's like a good day for me is a day that I'm not in front of the computer. You know what I mean? I just like being, I like doing stuff where it's like, you know, just feeling reconnected to like real life experience, which I feel like, again, we're, 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 we crave that stuff. And as we should, that's like, you know, billions of years of evolution did not probably have us wanting to sit behind a computer. But, you know. No, I, t- I totally agree with that. And I think that it doesn't even need to be that. I mean, people have a tendency to make a big thing and formalize things, but it, I mean, it can be as simple as just having people over for dinner or just going out to a bar or just leaving the house, you know? Um, and, uh, I've been really craving that too. I mean, like I've been trying to get, I've been going back to my teenage years and trying to get people back into role-playing games because I feel like it's a good way to connect with people that does not involve the tedium of reality. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. And so we're we're just, we've just really just like hit this like point. I think of just like hyper digital connection at this point that I think every one's wary of i mean my myself as a, as a person who's been you know very tech forward my whole life and just you know uh is is pretty much like the opposite of a luddite like i've just loved technology yeah. and it's improved my life greatly and i use it for all my work and it's just like one of those things that i've never really complained about it but i'm also like i gotta take a step back like mm. it's just too much i feel like you know if i don't turn my phone off at times like i'll just never stop having to be head down in the blue screen you know yeah it's, it's, it's yeah. well i'm i'm the same but i uh i am uh, super tech forward but uh and i don't i haven't backed off from it at all i've tripled down on it during covid but the one thing that i do avoid as much as humanly possible is the phone uh i think nothing good comes out of it and i thought back you know there's been some times where i've thought back it's like something like 80, 90% of all the stress in my life has come out of that box, you know, just with yeah. interactions with people or feeling the need to keep up with texts or emails or things like that, um, or social media stuff. Um, but the big thing now is obviously AI GPT four is out and it's kind of like in terms of, in terms of not coming together. I mean, I'm certainly finding like, I love chat GPT. I, you know, it's like, Basically, like I have, you know, there's a lot of employees I don't need anymore because AI fulfills yeah. those roles for me and does it much better and and way cheaper. Uh, and so, you know, AI or kind of like augmented intelligence, as I call it sometimes, has allowed me to do all these things. But of course, it is at the cost of working with other people. And that's good in a lot of ways. But, you know, pushed forward as a trend. It's kind of like I can definitely see people just kind of like existing in these bubble worlds of technology and yeah. artificial intelligence is kind of like doing everything for them and, you know, maybe fulfilling their social needs in, in some cases. Yeah. And I, for me, I, I actually, you know, aside from being a band, I, I run a design agency and we are on sort of non local No one goes into an office. We're all in different places and we're constantly on Zoom and stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's great. And it's efficient because you don't have the overhead of that stuff, you know, and we all use, you know, every sort of tech resources possible, chat GPT, everyone's using, you know, AI generated imagery for inspiration, yeah. stuff like that. But going back to this idea of just like not being in a physical space at times, I really do believe there's things missing 
you know, from like, you're like, oh, the meeting was great. Yeah, everyone was there on Zoom and we all had a great meeting. But like, there's like meetings before and after meetings and meetings that are like, you know, yeah. just catching up with people and like, I and throughout that stuff that I really do feel like is missed. And I feel like as a creative, professional creative, I think that that's where the actual like real good stuff is you know what i mean the sort of like you know the 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 proverbial water cooler chat yeah. about the cool thing that you and your buddy did the weekend and like oh and great idea that happens and all that stuff that you know everyone's just sort of isolated in their own little world and they have their their exact 40 minute meeting and they're hard out online and that's it and i think that we miss a lot of that sort of really cool i guess um low priority connectivity yeah no that's totally true i mean because those are the those are the moments of connection where it's low pressure, where meetings are always high pressure. You know, you've got to show off and perform and all of that. And, um, you know, I saw there was a study that came out several months ago that said Zoom is kind of great for checklist type work, but it is dog shit yeah. for creativity. Yeah. Which, yeah. Um, so. yeah. Um, you know, speaking of, you know, doing creative type work, I certainly, you know, and I found that with Zoom people get a lot more performative about their job as well. Like they're kind of like, mm -hmm. uh, I saw another study that was like something like 70% of the, some, I don't know, I'm making up a number here, but like a, a majority of the work that people do when they're working remotely is performative to uh, like put their boss at ease that they're actually working because oh, they yeah, can't absolutely. see them in the chair. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, you know, uh, um, and I, I think across the board, I think that, you know, even Zoom is performative from the way that you're like, all right, let me just see how I look before I set this up. Let's make sure the background's right. Let's make sure I have my agenda. I'm going through all that. And the minute's over, you're like, fuck off. I'm going to go like start drinking. <laughs> yeah, right. As long as you're composed for those 40 minutes. Right, so, right. You know. Now, I'm a, obviously a big believer in nonverbal communication, but I suspect at times that <clears throat> actually a lot of the communication that humans do is bacterial like we're basically like sharing uh, uh, microscopic information between each other. And so the thing that we did to isolate each other from, from viruses is probably also preventing us from communicating at that level. Totally. The bacteria are actually just like, like operating us. Like we're just big mechs and the bacteria are in the driver's seat the whole time. Oh, for sure. Well, you know, there's more, there's more bacteria in a human body than human cells. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's kind of like the question is like, well, you know, who, who are you really? It's like, we're like coral reefs of all these alien organisms. Totally. We're just, we're just microbial beings. The classic. It's super intense. I mean, the classic thing is like, you know, the example of that, it's like toxoplasmosis where you get around people who are cat hoarders and like, they've got really bad toxoplasmosis and their, their behavior changes, you know, about this. No, I've not, I don't know oh, what this is. Oh, this is, okay, this this will make you laugh. So cats carry a parasite called toxoplasmosis that um, breeds in cat shit. And um, not all of them have it, but a lot do, particularly ones that have been strays. And if you have a cat with toxoplasmosis and you're exposed to it, particularly if they're an indoor cat, which almost all cats are, the, the toxoplasmosis will get into you and get into your brain and start to change your behavior. And so women who have toxoplasmosis infection, the first thing that it starts having them do is collect more cats. 
because the the parasite what? wants more kind of crazy cat lady yes no it's an actual thing this causes it it's like oh. and it also causes uh um reckless behavior and promiscuity for some reason in women but not wow. men it it kind of shuts men down and turns them into like kind of like you know nebulous uh couch potatoes um often the type of men with cat women um but uh but for women, for like the first thing, it basically commands their brain to go get other cats to be more carriers or That's bring more to toxoplasmosis in. And so it's like, this is bizarre. And if you think about this, it's like, well, since human beings have been interacting with cats for forever, you know, it's like they even have obviously statues of them in ancient Egypt and things like that. It's like how much of human behavior and for instance, like building cities is cat parasites fucking with people's brains. I love that. I love the idea that like cats just low key are just running the situation. And that's why we've been worshiping them forever. And like in many ways, like if you really think about it, cats also kind of run the internet. Like if like the most <laughs> the most watched videos on all of YouTube are basically cats. Like if you go on TikTok, yeah. you can cat talk. It's like, you know, I, I personally I love cats. I'm a big fan of cats. Um, but I even I find myself doing things for cats sometimes. Yeah. Uh. You're like, wait, why am I like chopping? Like, why did I sear salmon? And like, why am I like chopping up this cat? You know, what I mean, like, you do things for cats that, like, for a dog, I'd never do. But maybe it's just because cats are just like have their their little their little hoop voodoo magic that they're working on us. That's you know? interesting. It's like, yeah, maybe the, all the cat videos on the internet. It's like you see those, and you're like, I should get a cat. It's like they're they're using mimetic infection to to have people, you know, hoard more cats. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I like cats. Uh, I'm definitely a dog person. Um, cats kind of freak me out to be honest because of that and their, their insidious and sinister behavior. But, um, I like dogs are straightforward. Like understand like true magnetic North, like in terms of their navigation and stuff like that. They can't. Yeah, they're, they're like they're highly advanced, you know, I watched a, a show on, on Netflix about like, you know, them like essentially like the science behind cats. I don't know how or why I ended up watching it, but it was fascinating. Like cats are actually one of the most like adept evolved predators in the world. Like just basic domestic cats. In, um, in what way? Well, just like, you know, pound for pound, their sheer flexibility and their strength, their ability to like, their their like, their hearing, their sight, everything about it is just like, the thing is it's, it's a finely tuned little machine. Um, and it's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, just also their ability to, to this guy, he would take his cat out on hikes and it would basically guide him back to his vehicle. Always, which was like crazy. It was just like wow. using like a dog the cat itself was a compass. Wow. Um, so they can cover huge swaths of territory and like know every, you know, if you, if you ever have one of those like rural sort of like outdoor cats or a friend who has one of those things, those things like cover a huge chunk of territory, like five to 10 miles or something like that. And they know exactly where everything is, which is super cool. So I, I when I was in England, I saw some documentary on, on, you know, whatever channel four or BBC or something like that. Uh, this was in the early two thousands. Um, there was a documentary about one of these cats that was like an outdoor cat like that. And they went to this spot. It was like in the Midlands in England. And, they went to the spot where this, this one family had this cat and they, they went outside and filmed and there was zero noise. There were no crickets. There were no birds. There was nothing. And they were like this one cat who they referred to as the butcher of the Midlands had killed every living, every living thing in like a 10, you know, 10 mile, you know, diameter uh, zone. It's pretty badass. 
it's funny too like when i lived in um i lived in rome for about five years to my oh, wow. there and um rome is covered in feral cats and everyone always says that um it's the 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 old souls of the ancient world are now in the cats so it's like you go to like you know uh various parts of the the old ruins and, and they're just like covered in yeah. cats and they all just like let them live there and i don't know it's pretty cool yeah it's i've seen that cool. i've seen that i would i that's awesome you lived there for five years because that's like one of my favorite my favorite places i've ever been to that must have been awesome but i i just visiting there i did go to that like temple of cats they have where it's like the the several layers of exposed ruins and there's just cats all over it yeah, it's like uh, the catacombs. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, right, uh, and that that was super cool to see. Um, so that must that. How was that esoterically? Uh, just to change tracks, because uh, that's actually how I got into sort of um, you know what we call esoteric or sort of occult studies and stuff like that. Where I was out there studying political science, and I used to hang out at a. Um, uh, a statue in in Campo de Fiori of under Giordano Bruno. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. I know that. I know the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, and I didn't know who he was, but I just always thought it was a cool statue. And I remember like talking to my history professor, and I was like, "Yo, what's that statue about?" And he explained to me that like he was a uh, uh, you know deemed a heretic for his studies, like for his Neoplatonic studies and his Hermetic wisdom, and they burned him at the stake there because the Vatican didn't allow the study of her- Hermeticism. And I was like, I don't even know what any of that is. But I need to know now because they burnt that guy at the stake and there was a cool statue. And I just kind of started going down that. And luckily we had amazing resources and libraries out there. And I just sort of ended up like never stopping my studies uh, at that point in college. And to me, it's sort of like connecting those dots in in that city. Um, you know, you, you kind of you start to be in your own Dan Brown novel. as you <laughs> But it was, it was fascinating. And just like, you know, cause that's a city that has deep occult history as well, obviously. Um, and then, yeah, it's just super cool. And I loved it. It was some of the best years of my life. Wow. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause I'm super, I mean, I loved it there. I'm super interested in this. Um, and I, I, I didn't get very much exposure, but you know, my take on it, you know, I went to that statue. Obviously I went to the Vatican. I had the worst allergic reaction of my entire life in the Vatican. So make of that what you will. <laughs> like to the, to the Vatican itself, or did you eat like some like, no, 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 street? no, no, no. Like I just, my face started swelling up and my nose was bleeding, but only when I was like in that one little circular area of like ground zero Vatican. <laughs> you, know, you had an allergic reaction yeah. to just, to just, just, it. yeah, <laughs> it's just, they, they knew. <laughs> it's funny. You know, I, I, First time I walked into the Vatican, and I'm not a, a religious person by any means, um, and I walked in there, and the first thing I felt was, boy, this place looks like it has a lot of money, and that's like, <laughs> it's you like know, all the, gold. It just feels so rich, and you're yeah. like, this is crazy, like, you know, and then someone told me some fact that like the vatican could so there's the vatican museum as well and they said hey the vatican museum sold half of its art it could feed all of africa for like 10 years and you kind of go "Eh, it's a little fucked up you know yeah it's like when you think about where all that money came from it's just like wow this is like you know well like literally this is literally the mafia you know yeah 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 no it's, it's a it's a strange place um i was there actually when the pope had died and they oh wow did they do the pope smoke they did the pope smoke and um you know it was at that time i was actually i lived like maybe only like four blocks from the vatican so oh wow 
notice all that. So like, you know, when, when John Paul II, I think that's who it was. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, no papal history kind of guy, but um, when John Paul II died, he was that Polish Pope that everyone loved. He was like the rock star. Uh, and, and when he died, it was like, I don't know how to explain it, but like everyone came and it was like a party, the whole city. It felt like the Red Sox won the World Series, but an old guy died. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like hard to explain the energy, but it was like, it was like the craziest party ever. It was so weird. The whole city was popping off. And I was like, what's this for? And they're like, oh, yeah, an old guy died. Were people like in mourning or just partying? No, it was like a celebration of life. And like, it was oh, like, wow. I don't know, it was weird. It was like people came from all over. And then uh, I think he was like the last, maybe like good Pope that people liked. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if he did. I, again, I guess people um, like the new Pope, the current guy. That is weird. He's like believes in aliens and stuff like he does? that. I don't know. Yeah, he's he's what? definitely batty, you know. Um, but that's news yeah. to me. There was a funny story that. Uh, oh yeah. So my my history teacher, he was a, he was a funny dude. He was telling me that like at some point, and I can't remember the specific dates or which pope, but um, there was a papal order in ancient Rome that said that they had to remove all the cocks off all the statues because they were inciting lust within the population. So. Turns out, uh, all the statues that are missing their cocks all over Rome are because the, the Pope ordered it. And you know, where, where did they believe? Did, did that, he keep them all for himself, though? I mean, where are they? This leads me to believe that there is a there's a box of priceless <laughs> cocks somewhere in the in the basement of the Vatican, <laughs> which I you know at one point wanted to write a a, a heist movie screenplay about. <laughs> You know, sort of this Da Vinci Chode-esque novel where, you know, someone's got to go in and steal these cocks from the Vatican. <laughs> that would be great. Well, that's always the question. It's like, what is in the forbidden Vatican library? And I guess yeah. that that's what's in there. Yeah. Um, and who knows? The Vatican is such a weird, creepy place. And they have, like, their own intelligence. You know, they have their own version of the CIA. I think it's called the Priory of Sion. Okay. Um, which is which is a pretty that's still a thing i mean it's like i remember reading all this stuff in the conspiracy literature and then it kind of just became damn brown territory and it's always hard to tell what's real and what's not but uh i mean it is its own sovereign nation yeah is that correct yeah it is. that's definitely correct yeah so i mean if it's its own sovereign nation and it has the money that it does you'd be led to believe and it has its own branch of it has its own military which is just what the Swiss army or the Swiss guard or yeah. something like it's a bunch of guys dressed like clowns with spears, um, which I, I never fully understood. Um, Apparently but, they're super badass though. Like they're, they're ultra they're elite. dressed up like fucking Bozo, the clown of the spear. So <laughs> the big dance on that look like they're catching pies in it or something. Just like to that. get people to let their guard down. Maybe no, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but yeah, you know, you, if they have their own sort of, the military think that okay that means they also have their own you know intelligence force well they definitely i mean there's opus day there's all that i mean like when i was doing the john d book i mean you read all that stuff oh, that's what i meant i think that's opus day opus. yeah that's um yeah. and they've got they've got knights of columbus and all that as well which is more prosaic but yeah um yeah i mean like that definitely was real in history i mean like they almost killed john d and you know, even when the whole, when the horror, the horror, <laughs> the of Babylon, um, as the Protestants called the Catholic church and, and did in the reformation, um, even when Roe, uh, Roe versus Wade got overturned, 
you know, like I dug into the, as a lot of people did, dug into the finances on, on all that. And that was all paid for by Catholic agents in Washington, D.C. So, really? oh yeah, absolutely. There's one guy. Surprised. There's this guy's name, Leo something. Let me look it up. Um, so people can look it up on their own. Um, but basically like the, the Catholic church bankrolled all of these um, Supreme court justices being elected. And it's this one infamous guy. Uh, let me see if I can find him. Uh, keep talking. I'll, I'll, I'll keep looking. It's just interesting to me that like, you know, the, I mean, somewhere between, you know, the, the Vatican money and then, you know, uh, even like, you know, Israeli lobbyists, like we, our country is still shaped by very ancient Semitic roots. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, yes. It's, it's interesting. You know? Yeah, I know. The magical war is real for sure. Okay. Yeah. This, this guy, this guy's name, get this. This guy's name is um, Leo Leonard. <laughs> or excuse me. Leonard Leo is his name. He's a, uh, uh, works for the Federalist Society and or he leads the federalist society it's like which and he's a catholic agent and i'm just looking on npr it's like he spent the majority of his adult life getting conservatives appointed to the most powerful courts in the country including the supreme court and specifically to dismantle roe versus wade which you can imagine the catholic church would be interested in doing okay but why let's like let's like let's put our tinfoil hats for a second like why you know what i mean like i think to me obviously there's that sort of like, oh, well, God doesn't want it to them. But there's always just like, to me, it's like qui bono, like who benefits really? Right, right. I mean, I think, you know, the the most straightforward reading is just, it's just because that's their belief system, right? A more cynical reading would be, well, they want more, they want more population. So there's more Catholics. Well, that's, I mean, so for me, I'm always like super cynical enough to be like incentives drive ideology. I don't think it's like at a core. It's just like these people just believe this. It's like, but why do they believe it? Sometimes people just believe stuff though. I mean, you know, not, but, but yeah, no, I, I usually am on the super cynical side as well. Yeah. Um, And to me, I kind of always thought like, all right, well, you know, it's so funny. I'm totally going to miss, oh no, who was it? It was... Uh, Kennedy, Elias Kennedy, in his book Crowds and Power, discusses how um, essentially the the battle over this concept of abortion was about uh, you know creating a sort of like the goal of every business is to make uh, essentially every person a consumer of their product. Yeah. But once they sort of hit that sort of point of satiation where it's like, hey, there's no more people who are going to buy your product. The goal becomes to create more people. Um, and you know, right, more to, more consumers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you know, whether or not it's weird because you see, like, okay, you have you know, right wing conservative also tethered into big business. You know what I mean? So like, where is the relationship between big business and sort of you know Christianity? And you go, oh, I guess that's it. They just mean they need more people. Yeah. That might be it. Yeah, I mean, but you also got to think about like or I think about this sometimes it's like, to what extent is the Catholic church just the Roman empire? I mean, to what extent is America just the Roman, the just uh, to me, I just look at America as just this sort of like neo Roman empire. We borrow, we borrowed all their symbolism. Sure. Um, you know, we, we operate out of their same principles of, you know, if you want peace, prepare for war, we essentially use the same bread and circus model. <laughs> yes. We, we, we suffer from the same imperial overreach as they did is what took them down. Um, and, you know, to me, it's, it's, 
literally an eagle holding a bundle of sticks, which is just they change arrows. And we just literally borrowed all of Roman symbolism. We are the Holy Roman Empire, you know, reskinned. That that is yeah, that's that's really interesting. It's also it's kind of like the Philip K. Dick thing of the empire never ends. And it's there's always the empire. And maybe it was Rome, then it was the Holy Roman Empire, then it was Britain, now it's America for now. I mean, maybe it'll maybe it will be China in the future. But um Yeah, but I I, I, I don't I don't like I think everyone's like, you know, the China fear <laughs> There's a lot of money behind that one too, getting people all yeah. amped up by Tucker oh. Carlson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like the whole TikTok ban thing right now where it's just like, oh, we gotta ban TikTok because like TikTok is basically just like eating Silicon Valley's lunch right now mm. um, and stealing ad revenue. So it's like the whole push behind destroying TikTok is really coming from people like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Meta. But then also that bill that's on the floor, dude, do yourself a favor and go back and look at the, the TikTok ban bill because it has very little to do with banning TikTok. It, the the it, one thing that I saw is that they're trying to make VPNs illegal, which is They're nice. trying to make VPNs illegal. There's so much stuff that like to them, you know, uh, there's just all this sort of insidious stuff in the bill. What what else but, is in there? You know, the 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 for one, the VPN thing is insane. I think it was like a $250,000 fine. And if they catch you using TikTok, it's like a million dollar fine or 20 years <laughs> of imprisonment and stuff like that. But then there was all sorts of like, you know, good, good luck, like hunting down all these people doing makeup tutorials and like playing Fortnite on TikTok. Okay, good luck with that. <laughs> But apparently, and again, I'm not even going to try and misquote it, but, uh, you know, there's just, it's worth inspecting about why. Yeah. Interesting. It's it's a security link to China. And you're like, okay, guys. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's insane how much stuff, how many civil liberties have been stripped in the last, definitely in the last decade plus, but even just in the last two, three years, it's, I mean, where do I even start with that? What are we on? Patriot Act Nine now? Are we? <laughs> they just, just come, they just come with different names, which and like that's where it's like the TikTok thing becomes a sort of um, you know a, a Patriot Act in sheep's clothes type of thing. You know? Yeah, which is why I am and always have been just utterly impatient with the Democrats versus Mo Republicans narrative because it's like no, there's one straight forward linear line that goes carries through through every single administration, which is just more power for more power for the federal government, less power for individuals. Which is why when they actually agree on a bill and there's like bipartisan things, that's when you really yeah. gotta be fair. Because <laughs> that's just like just about preservation of sort of hegemony. Uh, yeah, it's like they, yeah, they'll fight about these kind of culture war issues, but they're lockstep when it's military funding. They're lockstep on Israel. They're lockstep on, you know, uh, at this point, it seems like they're pretty lockstep on gun control. Uh, and all these things. So, yeah, no, it it does feel like at some point that it's just about preservation of the empire. Well, I think it's kind of like, yeah, it is, and it's kind of like what you're saying about the Catholic Church. It's like the the uh, they're doing what's best for the business. It's like Democrats and Republicans are, are the same business. They're they're in the government business, and you know, it's like uh, I love the classic Malcolm X speech from the '60s, "The Ballot or the Bullet." Where he's like, people are like, oh, well, the Democrats this or the Republicans this are going to do this for me. It's like, no, there's no Democrats. There's no Republicans. There's the government. It's the government. And what is the government ever going to do for you? 
Like this is just like get like get over this this uh this is it's so amazing how controlled people are by this basic 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 thing. I mean that plus something as basic as bread and circuses like you're talking about. It's like these are not complicated psyops. Yeah. It's funny. It's like I had this this speaking of bread and circus. Um I started thinking like, okay, like, you know how they were talking about the Netflix password thing or like, oh, we're going to take away the ability for people to share Netflix passwords. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just thinking, and they never did that, but they kept talking about how they're going to put it into act this year. And I thought about like, well, they would have, if there wasn't so much backlash, because they got some, yeah, but they would have something that would finally have Americans like, <laughs> point, you know what I mean? Like the revolution is here. It's like, take away our, our, our fucking Netflix. You know what I mean? Like anything, there's no accountability for anything else, but the minute that they is take away so our funny. Netflix, Everyone's out in the streets, like rioting. You know yeah, I mean? like it's that. like no. I am watching All Dogs Go to Heaven to tonight, and you are not t- taking that away from me. Well, it's the one thing that I feel like keeps the lid on the pot, where everyone's just like pissed off all day, but then they go home, they're like, "Yo, have you seen the new season of this?" And then we just all forget about everything. So, yeah, I feel like the would have to subsidize Netflix passwords, even just to prevent the world from fucking blowing up. That's um, hilarious. But yeah, just to also tie into the Netflix thing. It's like I look at the American government as like this like really bad reality television show <laughs> or just like, you know long running TV show where you know the Democrats and Republicans they're both just trying to get another season on the show. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 long, yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as the show keeps going and they're like, oh, they didn't kill my character off, I'm in for another season. That's all they care about, which is why they mm-hmm. keep trying to be relevant to the talk. Like the talking heads need each other to be like, oh, like what if they don't have the other guy to throw shit at? Then they can't be as relevant to keep their you know, spot on the TV show. So in many ways, it's so funny how they just need each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, and they'll move on to like, oh, who can we talk about now? It's like, you know, uh, Tucker Carlson needs to bitch and moan about so-and-so, and then someone <laughs> needs to bitch about Andrew Tate, and everyone needs to get upset about yeah. everyone and each other in order, in the same way that Batman needs the Joker, because you're not going to get a comic book without the other guy having the other guy, so. Yeah, Tucker, Carl- Tucker Carlson is hilarious to me. It's like, how can you maintain that, like, shock, disgusted face for, for, for three years without breaking it? You know, it's like, you think you would oh, not be shocked by this point. Saw a video of him talking about how he's like, of course these kids are socialists now. If you couldn't buy a house, blah blah blah. I was like, wait, is Tucker Carlson like now? Like, like does the mutation chamber like go this hard now? Where like now he's gonna be like some leftoid? Where it's like I feel like that's the thing. The political mutation chamber is so accelerated now, where it's like everyone just has to constantly be doing this like flipping and flopping and interweaving just to keep up with themselves. Do you know what I mean? Wow, they run out yeah. of time. And, and just you know, to keep people interested. Yeah, uh, exactly. Because it's like, yeah, it's sort of in the same way, like, okay, season one, everyone hated Jamie Lannister. Uh, of, 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 but by like season six, you're like, I love Jamie Lannister. He's like a good guy. This is right. the same thing that happen if our TV show runs long enough where you're like, yeah, I hate that guy. But dude, have you seen like the, like, oh, or I love that guy. And then he hits his villain arc in season fucking seven. So, well, look, I mean, just, like that happened with George, with uh, George W. Bush. He's like literally one of the worst things ever to happen in this country. And now he's like, you know, a wacky guest on Ellen DeGeneres show. We want to be like, you know, George W. was a war criminal, but he wasn't as bad as Trump. And you're like, <laughs> it's like, a- actually, he was a lot worse. Actually, he has way more blood on his hands. <laughs> 
Um, but everyone's like, he's funny now. He's just like a funny guy. Now yeah. watch this guy. That video is great, though. I do love that video. Which one? Where he's just like saying something about terrorism and he's like now watch this drive and he just like hits a golf ball (laughs) (laughs) no no no. one of my great plans now that i'm in texas is to hang out with george w bush i think that would legit legitimately be awesome i honestly think you would and that's and that's where the funny thing goes like you know he's a good hang oh yeah like who would not want to hang out with george w bush i mean he's a serial killer of the highest order but like you wouldn't want to hang out with tony blair right he's just literally a lizard person (laughs) it's like a very disturbing individual and so is george bush but like you know it's like he's he's also like down home he's like a good guy you You could you could do brisket yeah you could have a beer with him you could have a beer and like rip a couple cigs with obama too (laughs) i don't don't think trump would be a good hang i feel like probably not yeah, he just but like he doesn't drink and he's just like sort of just like such a self-aggrandizing weirdo that is like I don't know, just one of those egos that just like like are a vacuum to the room. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, definitely. Well, it's kind of like what I was gonna say earlier is you know, it's it's clearly the system as it is set up. It's like it's the computer program that pe- you know, the, the computer code that people step into when they join the government is what outputs this. And not necessarily the individual. And we always see that the individual, no matter where they're coming from, is always warped to this. And it's the same with the media. But I was wondering, I, I think it's so um, unbelievably uh, draining, I think, for Americans to have to be in the, you know, I would say the four year election cycle, but really it's a two year election cycle. And so we're always like in panic mode, always. And I was wondering, like, were there were there term limits in Rome? I mean, in theory, we're kind of based on the Roman system, but uh, how did they do that? Was it their uh, constant turnover, or were people kind of in for life once they got voted? Sure Ro- Roman Empire, like, they just, the emperors were just, like, murdered. <laughs> no, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't know. You know what I mean? I feel like it's one of those things that um, I imagine that uh, it was probably hard to oust a standing emperor, uh, especially if he was a bit of a tyrant. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Like, I don't yeah. know if like, and I'm but, sure but even with like the Senate, you know, it's like, it seems like they probably were in for longer than four years. Yeah. It's a very good question. I don't know. And I think it, it evolved and changed over time with different periods. So it's, it's probably a, a more complex answer than I am capable of giving, but um, yeah, it does feel that way. It seems like we're constantly just like, you know, in this like political thunderdome now that like we can't get out of. Like I just, yeah. you know. Well, you like, can get out of it. You just turn the fucking news off. Oh yeah, oh, but it's like there's <laughs> something about like you know, uh, I read somewhere it's like the hallmark of a failed fucking society is like when like fifteen year olds are like politically engaged. You know what I mean? Like, oh, interesting. It's like not be like. You should not be like being like, oh yeah, like I'm 16 and 15 and 14, and I'm like tuned into like TikTok politics. Do you know what I mean? It's like go enjoy yourself. Just tell you what, it's not going to get any more fun later. You know, what right? I mean? And and you're not going to be making any good judgments or decisions about anything anyways until you're like 50. You know? <laughs> and I feel for the kids because they're sort of like they have to now. It's like you know, unfortunately, like you know, kids have to have an opinion on on gun control and gun violence because it's been brought into their classroom and uh, you know you can't be like well you don't understand um because maybe they've dealt with it and unfortunately you know for them to to be able to have to base their opinion on you know such an intense 
intense traumatic moment is not always going to be a politically sound opinion either, but you can't deny its validity. Well, you can't, you can't deny that. And that's such a painful topic. I mean, it's like, you know, like I would go out on a limb and say like, you know, kids opinions on gun control is probably a lot more valid than most older people because they're the ones that are actively in the fucking war zone. You know, they're the ones and their parents. I mean, I can't imagine being a parent now and every day you're thinking, well, it's like, it's like being married to a cop where you're like every day it's like, well, they might not come home today. Yeah, for for like a first grader, come on. Uh, But that's you know that's this is horrible situation that we're in, and so you know that I am a big believer in you know always ask the people who are directly affected by the actual policy instead of people who are kind of armchair theorizing. But that said, I think younger people, you know, particularly, which is funny funny because I literally feel this way about every political topic Mm. that politicians are for the most part. Like I feel like politicians should have to bag groceries for like ten years before they get <laughs> you know, yeah like, yeah or be a waiter or clean up after people they make these policies that affect everyday lives and meanwhile they're just like some like completely detached deranged billionaire they all do incredibly well do you know what I mean it's like these are public servants that are all somehow billionaires and you go all right that should raise some eyebrows and at the end of the day like making that type of money just disconnects you do you know what I mean like you're right. not connected anything and you live in your little ivory tower right you become and, nancy pelosi with the hagen dawes exactly and you become pelosi and like at the end of the day like why are these people creating policy for your sort of like everyday person they have no context to it you know yeah that um, was never more clear than during covid particularly in california um yeah and, and it's just and but then you get like it's not just the money i mean you get people like biden who are essentially career bureaucrats and they're very very good at doing their job which is being a politician right yeah. but that that's a it's just like anything you know it's like you adapt to the job not necessarily like the true meaning of what the job is supposed to be there for um and yeah, and I, I don't know. People, and I imagine some people get into politics with a sort of like, hey, I'm going to be different. I'm going to like, you know, get in there and change things. Yeah. And then, like, you know, 10 years later, they're just like a hollowed out, you know, <laughs> yeah. U.S. creature who realized they're like, man, I was idealistic. Yeah. Not yeah. It's like you saw like Obama like, after he was president. He's got like a whole pack of cigarettes hanging out of his mouth. Yeah. Uh, or it's like that. I'm sure, you know, that, that old Bill Hicks joke that it's like, as soon as you be, you're a president, they take you into a room with like the, the, the 10 capitalist scum fucks that actually run the world. And they just show you a clip of the Kennedy assassination that you've, from an angle you've never seen before. And then just say, you know, any questions? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's fucked up. And just to go back to the, the sort of gun control thing, it's like, yeah, you know, the people who I watch some of these gun control debates and the way these people are like, you know, there was that one clip. He's like, you know why people don't hunt with an AR-15? Because there'd be nothing left of the deer. And you're like, wait, uh, this is the most fascinating thing I've ever heard. It's actually okay. the reason not with an AR-15. It's not enough. Yeah, 5.56 five, would be inhumane. It yeah. have power, you know? And yeah. um, at the end of the day, it's it's like... The facts matter. Yeah, just for people who don't didn't, I, I mean, I feel like we should qualify that for people who aren't aren't gun people. It's like a, 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 an AR-15 round will wound a deer and it will run off injured and, yeah. and bleed yeah. out, and it will you. It is inhumane. It is utterly against hunting ethos or anything it's like that. Intermediate car cartridge. It's a it's a fairly small yeah. 
cartridge or bullet compared to most. And the reason they did that is because you could carry more in, in, in the military yeah. and you could have but, a longer, you sustain a longer firefight. But, but anyways, let's, let's, but let's, I mean, but let, let's be honest about it. I mean, like those were made to kill people. They were made to tumble in, in bodies. And one of something like that used in a school is not like hunting. That's a horrible, horrible thing. Of course not, but then people make these debates about, all right, well, why would anyone need one? And, you know, I think the Second Amendment was written uh, for parity of power. It wasn't yep. written for hunting. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't absolutely. about like... Yeah, absolutely. The right to bear arms was is is to go out and hunt. No, it's not. Uh, it's to essentially, you know, have the same amount of things what other people have. And I think that... No, people um, really need to understand that. I, I know we talked about this in the last podcast, and I've talked about it in, in other podcasts. And this is obviously such, such an emotional topic, and it's emotional for me, uh, and even to think about um, some of these shootings. But I think that just it is important to be intellectually honest uh, and talk about, you know, the, the Bill of Rights was written by people who just got out from under the thumb of an oppressive government. And all you need to do is look at the history of the world or many places in the world right now to see what it's like when you're ruled by an oppressive government. You know, Ukraine is a perfect example uh, being attacked by Russia. And of course, everyone's cheering on all the uh, Ukrainian civilians that horribly have to pick up weapons and fight back. So that's real. It's not theoretical. Um, and but the whole point of the Bill of Rights is like, number one, the government cannot tell you what to think or say. Number two, they cannot, um, you know, the num and number two backs it up. It's like they can't be, uh, you know, more overpowered than you by law. It's like you have to be equal with them. And then all the other amendments are like, they can't put soldiers in your house. They can't take your stuff. Like all this, the whole bill of rights is to limit the power of the federal government. So it's not about, it's obviously not about hunting. Everyone hunted then, or you wouldn't eat. So that's like a non-starter. Yeah. And, and, you know, and just to get back to the initial thought, I just think the facts matter. So like when you yeah. hear these like legislators and these people going up there and creating these arguments and they, it comes from a place of just, just blatant, like disregard for understanding the facts, but yet they're up there spouting it like it's fact. And you go like, okay, well, this is a problem. Do you know what I mean? Like to me, it's like, you know, people should be able to understand something before they're willing to pass laws on it. And I think that this is this sort of bigger issue across the board. You go, well, if they do this with this, they probably do it with everything. Isn't you know that, I mean? there's actually a word for, is that like the Dunning-Kruger effect or something like that? Where if you're, if you're, it's, it's an actual thing where it's like, if you're, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> if you're a specialist in something and then the media reports on it, you see all the ways in which they're wrong, but you assume that they're right about everything else when clearly yeah, okay. they're just exactly. wrong about That's everything. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, because I know so much about firearms, when I actually watch them talk about it, I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is insane. Right. Like no one gave them like a little bit of understanding on this. And then, you know, then I just somehow assumed that they must know about like building roadways or something. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> right. Right. Probably doing the same thing. Pete Buttigieg. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, the facts matter in these arguments. And I think that, you know, just being able to sort of independently do the research on your yeah, own. And particularly now when that's, I mean, all you have to do is go read the Wikipedia to get a basic understanding of something. And, and people are coming to these debates with not even that level of understanding of things. And that's, I think, unforgivable. And I think that the, you know, listen, like if you start to look at the actual numbers of gun violence in America, 
which very few people have. And, you know, it's somewhere around roughly like 40,000. I think that might even be a little bit high uh, for, you know, how many people die of, of, of gunshots in America annually. And, you know, I think that 60% of that is suicide, yeah. um, which is not addressed um, at all. And, you know, and then, you know, something like a big percentage of it is actually like police violence, which is not surprising. Um, and then, uh, 1% of it is school shootings. Is that too much? Absolutely. Yeah. It should just happen. Um, once is but, too much. Yeah. Once is too much. And, you know, do I think that, um, do I think that there's going to be solutions for that? It's like, a, it's like they're trying to create legislative solutions for spiritual problems, you know, or, or a problem that is, is so big in this country that I, I don't really know how it's solved with, with changing gun legislation. I think that the genie's out of the bottle um, here. You know, one third of all firearms in the globe are owned by the U.S. civilian population. Did mm -hmm. you know that? I did not know yeah. that, but I know I know there's more firearms than people, and probably by far since COVID. Yeah, so one third of all guns in the world are owned by the U.S. civilian population, um, which is insane. That's a that's a daunting fact. Um, so at the end of the day. You know, even if you prevent gun from being bought anywhere in America tomorrow, some guns are still out there and people right. still do bad stuff. And even then there's so, 3D printers and things like that. And yeah, and, um, exactly. yeah, and I mean, even, even in, there have been cases in like, there was a case in Germany, um, you know, some of the worst mass shootings have happened, not in the U S for instance, Anders Breivik. And then there was another one in Germany and one in Japan where they just made guns out of pipes. Um, yeah. And, you know, then the one, the horrible one in Norway, I mean, like this guy found a way to get around all the laws and, you know, just spent, spent a lot of time figuring that out. So, um, yeah, that's, a, that's, a unfortunately one that I don't really think there's any solution to. Um, I don't think there's a solution to it either. And I just think that, you know, the, 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 the bigger picture is, is creating better mental health programs and creating, yeah. you know, I don't know. Like it's, it's, you know, someone can get in a car and drive through a parade full of people. What are you going to ban cars? Do you know what I mean? It's like at the end of the day, you know, there which happened, always, which happened recently in Europe. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's always going to be bad actors and there's always going to be, you know, hurt people, hurt people, as they say. And I think that that's a, a tough cycle to break. And I think that that's holistically where we need to understand how to break that. And I, I think that, you know, uh, Taking, making it harder to get a gun, sure, whatever, you know, it should be, you know, uh, getting a credit card is hard, you know what I mean? So getting a gun should be at least that hard. I'm not uh, against qualifying people's ability to use firearms and their proficiency. I know through Second Amendment, people will get on my case about that, mm. but I, I, don't, I don't have an issue with that. Uh, I have an issue when it becomes classist, when you have to pay extra money. When it well, becomes which is how gun control laws are set up. They were yeah. they were designed to prevent lower class and people of yeah. non-white races from getting guns. Yeah. Exactly. When it, when it becomes a hugely classist thing, I have an issue with it. Um, and, you know, when, to me, if it's about taking a background check or mental health evaluation or at least some sort of proficiency exam, whatever i'm fine with it you know what i mean like that doesn't that doesn't sh you should have to get a driver's license to drive a car too do you know what i mean it's it's not crazy. yeah i don't know maybe i'm just uh maybe i'm just autistic but like my um you know my 
I've actually, since coming to Texas, I've come to a very clear political stance on pretty much everything, and at least in the U.S., which is just follow, like literally just follow the code. It's like as written, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, like that is one of the most fundamentally uh, and most profound, it is one of the most profound outputs of the Western esoteric tradition of, of you know, the Enlightenment, of the Masonic Enlightenment, of the Scientific Revolution, um, and I don't think there's any better political document on earth. And I don't think that anyone's going to come up with one. And in fact, you know, anyone who's trying to change it is to my mind, by definition, a bad actor. Um, There are amendments and those have been good. For instance, getting rid of slavery, big, big deal. Right. Um, And lots of the other ones. Uh, But, you know, my, my way of thinking is just follow, like literally follow the document as written instead of trying to, because the, 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 the issue is if you, and everyone forgets this, if you chip away at somebody else's rights, somebody's going to chip away at yours. And both sides are so busy doing it that we already essentially only have civil rights in name and not reality. Even yeah, and more it turns than sort of like Jenga effect, right? Like if you pull yep. out one, yep, exactly. like everything else structurally is now going to fall apart. The reason there's a Jenga effect is because the, 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 document was written for to to be everything is interlinking everything in there is for a reason it's not like a haphazard collection of things it's a magic spell in my opinion to prevent tyranny and it's worked pretty damn good and you can tell it's worked good because people have been steadily chipping away at it certainly since the new deal and definitely before that um even back to the you know the federalist papers people have been chipping away at it and they haven't fully been able to do it that's why the document's there. It's pretty much the only thing, the only thing standing between us and being Canada, which would be worse than death, um, or, you know, <laughs> Ukraine or something like this, uh, is, um, or any other country where people are uh, vassals of the government. Um, and just because the government, you, just because you're a vassal of the government one day when the government's nice, doesn't mean the government's going to be nice the next day. I mean, you think people would have got this through their heads during the, the Trump era, um, the powers of a Trump are the same as the powers that Obama has. Um, so, uh, or, or vice versa. And so it's like, you can't, if I, I think that's a perfect metaphor, Jenga, that's better than I could have put it. If you take out one block, the whole thing falls. Cause it's a, it's a, everything was constructed and put there for a reason. And it's obvious when you read it in context, it's obvious why the second amendment is there, which is why I think it's just purely in bad faith for people to argue that it's about hunting or, or you get, even like you get people, making this ridiculous argument. It's like, well, the government has nuclear weapons and F-14s and F-35s and all this. And even Biden said this. It's like, okay, so you're literally telling me the government is going to nuke its own population and you wonder why people are concerned about this. Yeah, And it's funny too, because it was like, and they're like, well, what are you going to do? Fight the whole government with your, with your rifle? And then like, maybe like two months later, it was like the Taliban has taken back Afghanistan <laughs> <laughs> like, or Ukraine uh, where they're like, yeah. Oh, dentists are having to pick up AK 47s. Cause they're being, they're being bulldozed by the Russians. And uh, if you look at that war, it's like, there's really not a whole lot you can do with a rifle either. Cause they're getting mortared nonstop. That's how wars, their wars are fought with mortars and, and concrete. Um, not, it's not call of duty, but it's like, you know, and it's like one day they're cheering on all these civilians who are having, you know, horribly, you know, moms having to pick up, um, uh, weapons to defend 
their kids. And it's like, that, that's real. And I, how do you go from that to like, oh, well, you know, it would never happen here. You sure about that? Yeah. What, what, yeah, where were you during the whole Trump era when you were saying that like Trump's a fascist and we're going to be a fascist dictatorship? Yeah. And even if it wasn't, you know, uh, internal, you know, tyranny uh, and uh, tyrannical force from, uh, you know, from abroad trying to impose its force on America, which geographically I think is pretty impossible. But yeah. let's let's just let's just play with unless you're like you're like a one of those you know red dawn larpers where it's like that movie's so ridiculous it's like like mexican communists like it's just so it's like conservative hallucination goof like goofball nonsense but yeah yeah but yeah just you know they start dropping in and you know next thing you realize oh then the american population has one third of all firearms i'm pretty sure right have to take the u.s but you know let's uh, i'm curious so like let's just talk about tyranny for a second okay. because i think that you know you touched on something that sort of piqued my interest about how you're talking about this bill of rights as sort of a magical spell against tyranny and i think that you know when we think about tyranny a lot of people think about some sort of like you know um I don't know, insidious, evil characters who are like, we must rule the world. But I think it's it's a lot less that, but more of like, just sort of like, um, I don't know, like some sort of like more subtle energy that it, that pulls things towards that. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. like the way that laws get passed and it's almost like at its core, this sort of a German concept of chaos comp where it's like chaos versus order. Oh, I haven't and I heard think that. that. Yeah. Chaos comp is That's a German awesome word for <laughs> the struggle against chaos. And I think that, you know, this, this sort of very ancient idea where you could read it in the Enuma Elish with, you know, you have this idea of Marduk who's going to destroy the chaos monster of Tiamat and bring bring order to the universe. And that's how their cosmogony is sort of set out where it's like everything was chaos and then we needed to create order to make our universe. And I think that that current still runs with today where it's like America at its core is not an evil tyrannical space. They're just trying to create order. Do you know what I mean? We're just mm-hmm. trying to the hegemony and the, the the preservation of order turns into like sort of how uh, uh you know philip k dick and Vallis wrote about this sort of black iron prison this sort of like you know all pervasive system of social control and this this way of just sort of preventing you know anything from turning into chaos uh to to keep the fucking hegemony and to keep the sort of thing moving as an empire so i think that tyranny is is in some ways a byproduct of control against chaos okay Um, and it sort of pulls in that direction and then eventually something is like wait how did it get here yeah 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 let's talk about that i think that's so critical i think and i have a lot of thoughts about this and a lot of angles to go at it from but i think it just did that is just very unclear to people and it's not well defined and i think having it well defined is really important. It's like once you see the needles hitting the red and you have planned in advance for what happens when the needle hits the red, you know, otherwise it's just, yeah, it is the frog slowly boiling, but maybe let me, uh, you know, I always go back to the William Burroughs thing where it's control, you know, what, who's in control control is in control. You know, it's a virus. It's not a group or a specific person. It's, it's a, an ambient thing that is within humanity. Uh, but, maybe to be more down to earth about it. 
um, I think that the COVID era was like the perfect like laboratory to see all these things um, up close, like in the wild. And, you know, obviously you saw in COVID, the COVID era where, you know, I pretty much lost my trust in everyone. I'm still traumatized by the COVID era, largely as most people probably are, because I realized that, you know, quote unquote, quote unquote, control, quote unquote, tyranny at that time. Yes, the government was, you know, restricting freedoms and things like this, but it was coming from like the population. It's like basically like we need to, including tons of people that I know, it's like we need to take people's freedoms away. Like they don't have a right to endanger us. It's like we need, uh, we're totally fine with our civil liberties being taken. That was profoundly disturbing for me because, and or it's not just we're fine with our civil liberties being taken away. We're perfectly fine with yours being taken away. And in yeah. fact, you're the problem, not the, the situation. So that was profoundly disturbing for me. And um, to see theoretically liberal people turn into, uh, I don't, I want to watch my words carefully, but to, you know, to become like that overnight was, was, was disturbing. Well, you know what, what is it? The Milgram experiment? Yeah. Are you familiar? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Milgram is just basically like, you know, only like 20% of the people have the ability to like defy authority um, or something yeah. like that. Like, it's like the numbers are shocking, but like, it's really, you know, I'm it's surprised 80, it's that high. Yeah. It's an 80, 20 rule of just like, you know, people were just like completely obedient to whatever laws get thrown in their face. Well, if you think it, about that too, it's like, you know, most people are not, and I think anyone listening to the, any magical thinker, particularly people listening to this podcast will get this where it's like most people are um, completely uninterested in individuation and they're uninterested in advancing themselves as, as um, apart from the herd because most people are not strong enough to. And for most people now or at any other time in history, now or in the future, the smartest strategy for people has just simply be to has been to blend in with the herd. You get herd security. You're not going to starve to death. If a shark shows up, you're way less likely to be the one that it picks off. Um, and you get protection with the group and that's most people's approach to life. And let's be honest. I mean, to, to be what these people call an NPC in America in 2023 is a really, really, really good deal. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, you're not going to be Jeff Bezos. There's a ton of inequality, but you have Netflix, you know, you're probably not going to die of dysentery. There's pretty much food. You're probably not going to starve if you live in America now, you know, like you can, and you can get a job working at a gas station and at least at some level of society kind of, kind of coast. Um, yeah. You know, your life's not going to be great. You're going to be missing a lot of luxuries. Uh, it could be very hard, particularly when it comes to medical care, but it's not the middle ages, you know, and um, I wouldn't put it past it because I feel like, you know, if there's one thing COVID also showed it is that like the further you are from like the power structure, the more like you are just to die in this country. Um, so <laughs> I feel like, you know, what, what do you what do you mean by that? I don't know. I just feel like, you know, all it takes is like that weird health thing to happen. And then people are just all going to die unless you have money. And then you just basically are taken <laughs> care of. But I, right. I don't know. I just feel like. You know, even like COVID, for example, was like, all right, cool. Uh, I get to stay at home. If you're living in a mansion with a big pool and a gym and like all this awesome <laughs> stuff, yeah. I just stay at home. 
if you live in like a one bedroom with your three kids and yeah, you're like and you're paycheck to paycheck, like basically, yeah, you're gonna literally country. lose your fucking mind and like literally probably snap. So it's like yeah. COVID was very different from everyone or for everyone. I yeah. think in that regard, yeah, and like uh, divorce rates went up ninety five percent. You know, yeah. domestic abuse went up. Uh, alcoholism, what everything, everything bad happened, uh, and I, I think it's in, it was an inhuman thing to do to people, and but I'm sure most people would probably still say, well, it was the right thing to do, um, you know, if if one life is saved or something like that. Uh, of course, they don't care about that in other circumstances. Yeah, but. yeah, I just don't understand the logic there because if that's the case, then like, why isn't insulin free? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 right, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy it. Do you know what I mean? And to me, uh, yeah. You know, or if you really wanted to be draconian, like just to look at this from a pure numbers statistic uh, standpoint, if you really wanted to be draconian and use government oversight to save lives, ban cigarettes. Yeah, like literally, sure. just just do that. Yeah, I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying, like, li- literally, uh, that will save so many. You know, save so many lives, improve quality of life. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I just don't believe that big pharma gives a shit about anything. No, like like, they're like, you know, the blood that's on big pharma's hands, um, and the lawsuits against them for the opioid crisis. I just generally think that like to even invest any trust in big pharma here is it's insane. It's an, it's, it's, it's wildly naive to me. Do you know what I mean? And I, I think that whether or not whatever opinions you have about you know what happened during the pandemic that's fine but to actually think that big pharma is 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 not the fucking scum of the earth right um, yeah as if they didn't like kill everyone in the middle of the country with oxycontin uh, or, I mean, or, 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 or hold insulin out for people yeah, i buried a lot of friends due to the opioid crisis i'm sorry to, to hear me, that that was a that was a worse thing to me than covid um and again maybe it's just covid didn't brush as much of a path with my life but i didn't know anyone who died of covid personally Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's just my personal experience. So maybe I just have a bad taste in my mouth from the opioid. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not either, or there's tons of bad to go around. And I'm sure lots of people listening probably do know people who have died of COVID. So, but yeah, um, there, people do have a tendency though. It's like when, no matter what people think they believe, when the thumb gets pushed down, when the pressure is on most people's inherent uh, reflex action is just to find the authority and put their faith in the authority. It's like, well, somebody, you know, it's like, we got to follow this person, look for the leader. Cause most people are not leaders, you know, in their lives or certainly for other people. Now they're not, can't, they're not leaders in their own lives. So, um, you know, that said was what was done the right thing. I mean, I don't know. History will only history can, can, say really i think i think that if you know we were even saying all right well here's the thing here's how you know covid is going to kill you based on your comorbidities you know you go out there you're going to want to eat healthier you're going to want to do this you're going to do that fortify your body i mean that was a long haul of, of sort of you know staying at home and there was no information that they gave people about okay like here's what we're going to want to do you know what i mean like I don't know. It just seems strange to me that there was no dialogue surrounding anything about like getting healthier. Right. Yeah. No, that was, that was crazy. Well, I mean, look, <coughs> I guess, you know, most charitable thing that can be said is the people who were in the position to make, to legislate or to make decrees 
the people who were unfortunate enough to be in power when COVID hit, um, you know, A, there's no possible way to tell people what to do. I mean, look at all the insane shit that went down after afterwards. Um, but, you know, they were faced with a lose-lose decision. And making lose-lose decisions is unfortunately what leader's job is basically it's like if you're the one that's in power it's like your job is to make losing decisions most of the time and somebody's going to hate you for it no matter what you do like if they had left imagine if they had left everything open now the the, the hatred of the entire populace for you killed xyz um that they would have that so it's like well, no matter what they did you know it was going to be the wrong answer for somebody um but you know, if I'm if if I want to take a longer view, I'm not certain. I'm I'm gonna preface this by saying I don't necessarily know if I believe this anymore. Um, I don't think that things are this organized, but in a sense, I still kind of do. And I'm I'm gonna raise some hackles here, uh, David Ike. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just here we go. Here we go. Uh, in the late '90s. Um, had some interesting things to say about this. And I'm going to preface this by saying, I do not believe in lizard people at all. Uh, David, I do not believe that the moon is fake. We were going fall into lizard zone, but well, I I can just for humor, but no, Um, I I actually, in the late nineties, David Icke was really interesting. And I I always thought, I mean, this is now clearly not the case because he is definitely loopy, but I thought at the time that it was always kind of like a Jonathan Swift type satire. Like he was saying the whole lizard people just to kind of, like as a political cartoon. Um, but yeah. no, he actually believes in lizard people, but he, um, one of the things about David Icke is just, is that he was kind of this person that got all this attention in the nineties. And he put together all the conspiracy literature that people were not seeing at the time into this kind of overall narrative, which is goofy, but he did popularize a lot of ideas and his early books are interesting and hard to get now. And one of the things that he talked about, which is not his idea, but which is a very useful tool, is a problem-reaction solution, or, or as we know it, the Hegelian dialectic, um, which is something that is used, you know, demonstrably by uh, political systems. And the problem-reaction solution is simply to create a problem, and I would say it's probably not create a problem. It's probably more like identify a problem propose, you know, wait for the reaction to the problem and then propose the solution. And the solution is always less freedom. So an example would be the Patriot Act, uh, uh, checkpoints in airports, in airports, um, you know, name, name your thing, the NSA Snowden. It's like, well, we need it because of the terrorists hate our freedom. Um, and David Icke aside, you can see this dynamic very very clearly just at anything you look at since you know since the 90s where or and and far back where it's like all you have to do is get the populace afraid of and by focusing all their attention on something terrifying uh, or something as dramatic as 9-11 happens and i'm not a 9-11 conspiracy theorist by the way um but you can but i will say that it is clear you know uh, smart political actors can use crises like that that will always happen in the world because the world is fundamentally a chaotic place mm-hmm. in order to, for instance, in this case, get um, public support behind invading Iraq, which there was no moral or ethical, ethical or logical justification for whatsoever, right? But everyone was all gung-ho for it 
because they were whipped up into this emotional frenzy of fear and panic and terror. And then all you have to do is come around and offer the solution, which is what you wanted to do all along. Yeah. So I, I, and he called that, um, the slow march to tyranny and that it progresses linear, linearly through all administrations and all over the world. And I think that that is demonstrably true. You don't need to get into any of his other lizard people, whatever stuff. And, and, you know, the process is these institutions that are created during these times, they don't go away when they pass laws and create institutions. These things have a ability to, in a sort of like self-preservation that they constantly, they don't want their funding to be pulled. People have jobs there. So what do they do? They, they essentially want, it to go on longer as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's an, an interesting thing that happens that, you know, it, it, it is unfortunate, but, you know, I don't think a lot of these people are bad people, but it's like, if that's your job and you're making money doing that job, then chances are you don't want that to go away. Right. Uh, yeah. Maybe a more down, down to earth way to say this is, uh, you know, my history, high school history teacher said <laughs> something that uh, I've never forgotten, and I, I can't believe that people don't hear it more, which is any power the federal government gets never goes away, ever. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I'm, people don't get this. It's like, if you look back through American history, if the federal government gets power, it never goes away. Nobody's going to come along and say, like, oh, we shouldn't have as much power. It doesn't matter what your political background is. It's like, you're, you're, why would you say that? It makes zero sense to give up. And And this is not a conspiracy thing. I mean, this is why the founding documents of the country were written the way that they were because they knew that's what was going to happen. Yeah. And, and so they, this is the magical spell aspect. And I say that metaphorically, although a lot of these people were interested in, in that type of thing. Um, but just to look at it metaphorically, it's like, that's why the constitution, the bill of rights were constructed in a way to as much as possible prevent that from happening. Cause it's just human nature and it's the nature of power. You can't yeah. like, identify and kill a group of people and it's all going to be okay. It's like, no, that's not how it works. So. Yeah. And again, it's like, you know, people, it's easy to point a finger to at at America where people are like, Oh, well, America is a giant war machine that essentially operates unilaterally without it is the security council. It's like in many ways, we're the bad guy. But also, we're the least bad guy with the most power at this stage. Like another country has this much power, maybe they'd be doing it worse. But the realistic Russia, thing is, I mean, look at Russia. Yeah, we'd give as much power as we have to Russia, and it would probably be bad. Um, well, they would so, just retake. They would just retake their their. You know, they would. Um, yeah, be revanchist like, and retake all their former territory, like they're doing like, in Ukraine. It's like, look at Germany, for example. Um, what did they do? They're like, hey, we want to go to war. And they're like, with who? They're like, I don't know, the world. Um, and they did that twice. And it was bad. You right. know what I mean? Um, yeah, so- Germany's an interesting one as a parallel to to Putin, just because they're both kind of, um, both of those were revanchist. It's like they're, they're, at least in their minds, trying to take back territory that they think belongs to them by right, which the people living there may definitely not see it that way. But uh, Putin's operating on a blood component that the United States doesn't have as well. Like to be German or to be Russian is something that is in their mind. This sort of it's it's blood. Um, Yeah, although that's probably a fiction as well. I mean, particularly with Russia, Russia's a huge empire that covers Asia and all all this. It's definitely a fiction. And what is to be German, anyways? You know what I mean? Um, 
I'm sure someone's going to come after me at that one, but I think ultimately, you know, America doesn't pretend to be in a, like a, a primordial bloodline. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, we are just a value system and we try and say, okay, well, if you don't follow these values, then yeah, we might punish you. But realistically, the real value system here is just the dollar baby. Yeah. And reality TV. And, and, you know, it's like, I always say to people, it's like, if you want to see what America is, go to Costco and look at how people act around the free samples. It's just like people shoving free samples into their face at Costco. It's like, that's the American way. But uh, so like this thing that yeah, exactly. I love those too. You know, it's like, but um, you know, this, this conservative thing of like our free, our values, it's like, what, what are you talking about? You know, this is like fictional, but that said, I mean, it's like, yes, I mean, some of these founding documents are kind of the only thing holding the U S together. But also that said, it's like, people don't, you know, I'm not a believer in like blaming individual Americans because Americans really have no say in the American empire. You know, we're, we're kept riled up about culture war issues, but when it comes to issues of the American empire, the imperial machine, not only do we not get a say, get a say in it, we don't even get to find out about it. Like how much do you know about what the U S is doing in Africa right now? Like a lot. I don't really know a whole lot about it, but like we're all over the world. It's probably something blue cobalt i don't know right 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 and you can find out if you really dig but most people don't you know people got to take the kids to soccer practice and at so. the end of the day you know and and not to it's going to sound bad no matter what so much of you know pr- preservation of hegemony at the scale that it exists right now um you know everyone vying for superpower the cost of doing business is going to be bad do you know what I mean? Like bad things are going to happen all over. Why? Because it's like, you know, we're, we're, we're fighting to be that big monster and to be the biggest monster. Um, because if we aren't it, someone else is going to be it. Yeah. And I don't think I would like a world in which we weren't the biggest monster. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to point our finger and say, Oh my God, we spend $800 billion a year on the military. And you're like, yeah, that's fucked up. It's incredibly fucked up. But then you're like, well, why can't we be like Europe who doesn't have to do that? And they have health care. Oh, because we do it. So they don't have to. Do you know what I mean? Right. So, right. This was this was Trump's point. He's like, they should pay for that service, which I thought was really funny, actually. To be I mean, yeah, because we play world police for everyone after World War II. Um, and, you know, again, I, I'm not... I'm not pro or anti any of this. I'm just talking about what it is. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. yeah. Well, power is power and control is control. And I, I think that, um, you know, I am a believer in the, the source code of America. And this is what I just keep going back to. It's like the source code is great. And if it didn't cover everyone, which it didn't, you know, it mostly applied to white male landowners, right? Like that's well known. It's like, well, that's not a reason to throw the whole thing out. It's a reason to extend policy coverage to everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a good but that's that's my take on it it's just like follow the instructions but um but the question of where is the you know what is tyranny i mean after we after these you know after david i get everything like after all these uh alleys we went down what 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 are your thoughts i mean like what what is tyranny no i think it's like that yeah that that uh, it's sort of a virus in many ways a, a, a slow sort of subtle energy virus that that 
you know, is the nature of power and human nature. And I think that, you know, it's that the absolute power corrupts absolutely type of thing. And I think that, um, you know, it's in many ways, this spell that you're talking about, the Bill of Rights is there to help prevent that. Um, and it needs to sort of be there or else no matter what, we're going to end up down that way. Right. Well, it's kind of like if you don't, if you if you don't have rules to follow, you're not playing a game. It's just yeah. it's just uh, you know the war of all against all, and yeah. yeah. Uh, if you look at China, for example, um, and that place is like you know ranking pretty high in human rights violations. You know, I, I have a feeling that if we did go to war, I don't think Xi Jinping would have any issues with just sending his people to the slaughter. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to me. There's just a there's a there's a, a bit of a of a, a darkness there that I feel like, um, you know, ultimately, that is unrestricted, unbridled uh, power in a way that yeah. you know we don't have here. Although it's interesting to see, I mean, because that that's historically what Russia has has done, but it, it has been really interesting for me to see what's happening in russia now we're like tons of people are like fuck no we're not gonna go kill people in ukraine and they're doing everything they can to get out of it and i think you were starting to see that just to tie it all back into a little conspiracy and COVID. i think you were starting to see that in hong kong right before COVID broke out um and there was a big uprising uh you know those protests were insane and we were supporting them do you remember that yes i do yeah that that reeked of cia uh backed regime change i got memory hold pretty quick yeah the the student the student riots yeah that was like right that was like right before covid right right before covid yeah i forgot about that what the hell because i remember thinking at the time it's like oh yeah covid it's like this is clearly what happened you had all these kids out there with laser pointers and umbrellas and in droves and they were getting their asses kicked by their government like physically dismantled um and they didn't know what to do about it. And we were like, we support this, which was crazy that we said that. And next thing you know, everyone on those streets got COVID and got sick and no one could ride anymore. So, yeah, I, I remember thinking at the time, it's like, oh, like, well, this did, you know, I, I remember thinking at the time, like, clearly they're doing the old, old style CIA backed regime change by backing, you know, student revolutionaries in the country or, or, or often right wing forces, whoever is against, you know, finding whoever the group that doesn't like the government is and funding them and giving them weapons uh and making sure there's lots of media coverage on them as the heroes but clearly china the chinese were just like no we you know like we, we don't do it like this we're just gonna fucking you know clamp down on this right they away down on them and then when they realized that even the clamping down on them physically wasn't working i'm pretty sure that's when they were like hey what do we got for viruses they're like oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I thought at the time like hey maybe even the u.s released a bioweapon and then it backfired on us you know, it's like, oh, well, the, the, the student revolutionary, the, the, the revolution didn't work. Let's just like throw some, some bioweapons at them. Uh, but then it ended up coming back to the U.S. I mean, who knows? I, I do remember thinking yeah, that. That is so much stranger than, than, than fiction at this point that like, I don't really rule anything out. You know, I'm just like, who knows? Well, the nutty thing about COVID too, particularly in 2020 was, I'm sure you remember like anyone who said anything about anything, it's like, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. You know, it's like, yeah. and, and all this stuff then turned out to be true. It's like the goalposts kept moving. It's like, oh, like, well, they're going to lock us inside all year. That's crazy. That's a conspiracy theory. Uh, you know, that mass, yeah. mass don't work. Conspiracy theories are oftentimes like covered in fat too, or they're just sort of like, 
you know, there's like a conspiracy that starts to drum up. And then I feel like there's just so much psyop to make it even more crazy. So everyone's like, that does, that's insane. So it's right. like, I think at the core of every conspiracy, there's like five to 10% truth in it. That's just covered in like sort of ridiculous fat to sort of like hide it in plain sight. Right. Um, that's my theory. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, for a long time, um, I've seen conspiracy theories as like a, a, a type of folk art. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's kind of like people, it's just kind of spontaneously emerging. And it's like, but if you really think like, you know, obviously I think QAnon people are ridiculous and, and all that pizza gate and all of that. It's just like, come on. But on the other hand, you see, and, again, and that's where I think that's where the psyop comes in, where it's like that yeah. is to discredit all the stuff. To or, make how, it even yeah. more, or how much know? they, you know, how much they've made Alex Jones. Uh, a rodeo clown, a rodeo clown, you know, it's like nobody likes Alex Jones. It's like, but just, you know, it's like you, he's a scapegoat. You put all of the conspiracy theories attached to this buffoon. And then it's like, well, none of it's real. But, um, I was going to say, it's like, you know, the, the particularly liberal people came out so hard, um, just clamping down on any narrative that was uh, conspiratorial or, you know, suggested the federal government, did, or, you know, the government, any government didn't have their best interests in mind. And there's so much like, you know, the standard snide New Yorker Atlantic monthly mockery of people who might have conspiracy theories. And it's just like, I thought about that and I was like, so basically what you're saying is that powerless people should not be able to wonder who has control over them. It's like pow- people who are people have who have no power. Like for instance, victims of the opioid crisis in Middle America are not allowed to at least speculate over who might have power over them. And yeah, they're going to get it wrong. And the reason they're going to get it wrong is because they don't know, right? You're not. Yeah, no one's telling you. You're not going to tell them. I think paranoia is a is a is a great wellspring for creativity. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I always thought that creativity comes a lot from, like, confidence and paranoia. And those are two places that, like, you know, they don't have to go together by any means. Uh, when they do, they're kind of dangerous. But I think that ultimately, you know, we like to fill in the gaps with our imagination of things we don't know. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, people are like, that's so dangerous. But it's like, I'm sorry, the human imagination is also <laughs> how you go, okay, I have this conspiracy that we are actually moving around the sun instead of us being at the center of the universe. And next thing you're like, that's insane. Kill him. And then they're like, all right, right. turns out this guy's right. Yep. He was yep. right the whole time. You know? So, you know, it's really tough to just sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater on that shit. Particularly and, yeah. with COVID where the goalposts, the goal, the goalposts were moving like every few days and they're still moving. Right. And, um, yeah, that, that's interesting because there's a parallel with gun control there too, where it's kind of like you get this attitude, particularly in the, uh, let's call it the high liberal press, where it's just this utter classist contempt for people, where it's basically like people should not have the right to put their conspiracy theories out. They should not have the right to talk on social media or to question be vaccine deniers, for instance. They should not have that right. That should be taken away from them. And it's like, who do, who decides that? Like, where do you decide where the line is? And it would be the same with taking anyone's rights away, taking people's freedom of speech away, taking people's uh, right to defend themselves that, away. That, like, who that, who decides that? That's actually the, the – that type of shit is really scary, actually. It's yeah. very frightening. 
Watch about is that's like that's that's peak Orwellian madness when they were talking about the mist disinformation act stuff like that and like the idea that like you know we saw all these things being censored on social media all these sort of different opinions where it's like at some point people should be able to take in as much information as possible and make their own educated opinions but you know ultimately this stuff is also dangerous you know so uh, you know, yeah it's well that's tyranny I mean I'll I'll you know put in, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll nail something to that. It's like that, that's tyranny. And I, I think that, um, that. I think the only way out of this is to just become more cynical of language in general, unfortunately. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. At the end of the day, we all just have to understand that like all we are is like existing in metaphor and this sort of like very, um, Robert Anton Wilson sort of E prime thing where it's yeah. like, all we have is metaphor and all we are is like a central nervous system. That's like taking, you know, data and like inputs and then like uh, sort of outputting sort of like metaphor to explain things, but we're all sort of corrupting information on the way in because our central nervous system is subjective. And at the end of the day, you know, unless you see it with your eyes and you know it for a fact, everything that you read and everything that you understand has to just, you have to be cynical of that and skeptical of that. And I think that's the only way we get past this um, where, you know, uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, like, cause you can't ban it. You know what I mean? You just have to be like, all right, maybe just don't believe everything, you know, don't take anything at face value. Well, you, know? you have the information out there so that people can, but you know, it's like, it's, it's funny. It's like, I'm trying, I'm starting to formulate the sentence, have the information out there so that people can do their own research. But even that sentence that I just said is so unbelievably loaded. Now it's like, Oh, yeah. you did your own research. Well, now you're dead of COVID. And so I can't even say that it sounds like vaccine denialism just to say, do your own research, right? That, that all these phrase, all this language has become utterly political and, and loaded. So, but I don't know. I mean, like there's soft tyranny and then there's hard tyranny. There, there's soft tyranny in the kind of Noam Chomsky manufacturing con consent way where people are, you know, herded into certain opinions and shaped by the media and given false dictomies and, and all of that soft control. And then there's just what we saw in COVID, which is just straight up. They show the brick wall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and the, the most, the thing that disturbed me most about that whole era is just coming out of that where it's like, I just, I can't trust people, you know, yeah. because when the, you know, like I think everyone saw like when the, when the shit came down, people shoot, uh, shoot. when the shit came down, people showed, their colors very clearly, I think. And, and just to see that the majority opinion was, you know, fucking go, go full on, like take people's, take people's freedom away. That was very disturbing for me. It was really like disturbing for me of how much like self censorship I did during that time period. Um, and it, it, I actually like had trouble sleeping at night because there were things I wanted to say, but I felt like I couldn't say because I felt like, you know, I was potentially going to put my career at risk and just like, I still feel that way. I, and even yeah. though I'm podcasting for two hours every week, it's like, there's a lot of stuff that I don't say. There's a, there's a minefield that we just sort of have to navigate and it's really challenging. And it's, it's one of those things that I feel like is really destructive to art. Um, and I feel like, you know, for me, censoring myself felt worse than having a government censor me for some reason yeah. like, they don't even need to do it i'm doing it to myself because of this pressure that i is now created in this environment which to me just that was a just a really dirty feeling that yeah really totally come to terms with you know right just i find i hold my tongue you know and i just sort of go out and i'm 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 so less engaged 
on social media. I don't even try and put stuff out. I just, I just fucking drive around in the desert in my truck and just keep to myself and just go camping and just do stuff that I'm like, I don't even care anymore. Um, yeah. And that's because I feel like, you know, in terms of my artistic contribution, I just had to go more cryptic. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do. Everything is just cryptic. Everything is just sort of like, you know, it's more poetic than saying anything. Do you know what I mean? I think that that's sort of where we have to go now in terms of like, all right, like stop trying to, to, to create a bunch of information and facts and skewing things. And it's just like, no, just, just sort of like make the poem version of it that people yeah. can sort of, you know, like it's funny because I do feel like there's like an inherent truth in poetry uh, in good poetry. Um, and it's funny because I feel like people hate poetry, which in my mind. Not me. I just put out, I just did T.S. Eliot <laughs> on the podcast. So, yeah. I feel like, and I feel like because people hate poetry, it means that people hate truth. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Well, I think that's an, kind of an eternal truth where it's like you can talk about things through art that you, you can't talk about otherwise. And I think that that's, you know, particularly apparent now, but it's, although even art is, is tough. Um, but that's kind of always been true. But yeah, definitely talk about that because I mean, I have the same feeling. I've become much, much, much more closed off. Uh, I There's a lot of stuff that I just don't engage with. Uh, and it does feel dirty. And it's, it feels particularly dirty because in theory, in society, the role of somebody like you or the role of somebody like I, or just the role of anyone who has a platform with which to speak, who's kind of looking at... Um, trends and culture and is sensitive and can can communicate well your job is basically to articulate thoughts and feelings that other people have who do not have the ability or the platform or the reach to articulate it's like your job is to speak for other people uh and when, when you're censoring yourself it's just like yeah that it feels gross i just kind of feel like you know i don't know maybe just i don't it's weird because it does feel like I should be doing it, but then there's a part of me that like has this sort of mature version of like, yeah, that's cool. Like you don't need like the world has enough hot takes. I'm good on doing <laughs> hot takes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. There's also that. I'm yeah, good. for sure. You know I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. part of me that's like, yeah, like I have an observation and like I deleted my Twitter. Um yeah. and there's moments like my my reflex is like, oh, I should tweet that. And I'm like, well, I don't even have a Twitter anymore. Whew, thank God. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like well, maybe I should revise yeah, what I said because I was kind of saying it's like, you know, speaking for people who don't have a, a means to do that. But I think maybe that's different now because people actually do have everyone's got social media. Everyone so. has it. Everyone has a fucking voice and everyone's just got hot takes left and right. And it's like we're just sort of like, I think we have enough hot takes. Yeah. And what and to be fair, like whenever I look back, I, I will do hot takes on Twitter and then delete them. Uh, and then, but when I don't, like if I go back and I look back at stuff like a few months later, I'm just like, oh my God, like, this is so embarrassing, <laughs> you know, cause it's, cause, cause I think when you, one of the things about social media is when you tweet something or you put something out, you're feeling the emotion in the moment in your, in your, you're up, you're, but you know, of, and of course ever, this is how everyone communicates online, but all of that is once all that emotional content is drained, not only do you not communicate that emotional content to other people, but then when you see it, how other people saw it, which is without the emotion you were feeling at the time, it's just like, what the, you know, what the hell was yeah. I thinking? So, yeah. You have this sort of like self-actualized moment of like total embarrassment. Yeah. And you're just, I'm like, really just, I, I do on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> like someone take this phone out of my hand and let me just 
be in the moment and enjoy my own shit, you know? Yeah. yeah I, uh, I'm, I've been fairly good about that with phones. I remember I, I was always, uh, I was actually like kind of profoundly, um, affected by the movie lost highway when it came out where there's a moment where Bill Pullman's character in that, like says he doesn't take pictures of things and somebody's like why why don't you take photos and he says i like to remember things my own way and i've kind of always taken that with me oh yeah yeah i mean to me it's like such a weird battle of like oh well like you know as an artist you have to have an audience and stay relevant you got to keep that moving you got to play to the algorithm the algorithm needs you to post every day or else you're going to get buried in the algorithm and it's like it's just fucked do you know what i mean like to me well, it's not conducive to art either, which has to incubate over long periods of time. Not conducive to art at all, and I feel like so much of the way uh, our, our digital economy works is not conducive to actual art. Um, and I just sort of decided to kind of opt out of it a little bit more and just kind of focus on, you know, t- taking my time and, and and making my art and enjoying it in a way that you know I'm not like oh I'm gonna put this number on that like you know we've worked on this album for like three years. And yeah. To me, every where is it? Where's the fucking music? Where's the music? And you're like, I'm sorry. Like, what am I, a short order cook here? Like, <laughs> yeah, like right. people are like, dude, where's the new album? And I'm like, everyone right. just, it's like crazy how demanding people are and how entitled they are to that shit. Oh, it's, it's, it's very, you, yeah, you have to have a thick skin because it can really get to you, I find. Um, well, what have we learned? I think uh, maybe we should, um, it seems like you've, you've really got something, you, it seems like you've kind of figured things out out in Joshua Tree, so maybe if you want to kind of share with people your going off the grid tips. Yeah, well, I think that for me, just coming out here was a the the, the way I described it. I was just trying to get off world, and obviously, you know, you're not living on Mars, but to me, off world was just like getting away from everything. Um, and you know, the high desert has a very uh, otherworldly vibe to it. And to me, it's quiet, it's big, it's empty. You don't see a lot of people, um, which for me. It like every human interaction I have out here is like the best because you're like, oh, a person. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to just like being <laughs> right. so bombarded by people all the time. Right. So I think it made me like really savor my human connections and interactions more out here. Um, but in terms of if I was to give living off grid tips, um, you know, the big part of what I did is uh, build this sort of overlanding rig. Um a very capable vehicle for driving off road and sustaining uh the ability to kind of like live off off and you know you know off grid like really off grid like you know what uh, what did you get by the way because i don't have a car and i should probably i've been thinking about getting something like a, that i got a 2021 uh chevy trail boss and then just like you know redid all the suspension and put some big tires on it and then put a ton of lighting on it and then build a bed rack behind it and then put a, a camper on top and just like did you, you bulletproof know, it is it bulletproof I did not it yet <laughs> but i feel like that's the final stage are you actually going to do that oh no i probably won't it's i but it's I, expensive right it's like oh, oh my god i'm sure it's super expensive yeah. if anything i get i'll probably just do a linex coating on it because my vehicle is always getting scratched going uh, down yeah. um and my poor paint job is looking pretty battle battle scratch now so um yeah and you know just for me like i like having the camper on top of my vehicle because i don't like sleeping on the ground in the desert because you know bugs and all sorts of weird yeah. little critters around so i just like being high off the ground and camping out there and you know always bring your own little defense department you know <laughs> arm and you know uh did you ever have to use it but you know you probably want to know how to use it in case you ever do need to yeah uh, no 
well, it seems the zombie apocalypse may continue. Yeah, I think it will continue until, uh, you know, until morale improves. <laughs> exactly. Well, cool, man. All right, man. I mean, well, uh, this is a super good conversation. Uh, uh, definitely want to continue having them. So, yeah, always a pleasure, man. I feel like I, I have these like little sort of ideas that I just kind of like roughly throw out there, and then you like actually articulate it nicely. So, it, oh, well, that's that's uh, that's a great compliment. Thank you. Yeah, no, but we covered a lot of ground in this in this podcast, and. Um, didn't go too far down the gun rabbit hole, so that's probably that's probably good. Oh, I, I was getting tons yeah, of. I was people ourselves in the last one. I think my manager was horrified by that. Oh really? Well, I I got some Reddit. I got, it was funny because now everyone's changed their tunes on a lot of this stuff, but I think at the time period, I think people were. Well, that was we did that after COVID because that was I was here already. That was like 2021 or 2022 even. Was it? I think it was in. Was it? Yeah, maybe. I can't even remember. Yeah, it was. It was oh, after. COVID is just a big blur to me. I can't yeah, remember. me too. My brain's just shot through with trauma. Um, yeah, no, I definitely got some Reddit threads decrying my gun nuttery, as people referred to it. It's like, well, take a look around, buddy. <laughs> All right, man. That was a great conversation. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation. Meet us at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true self. I will see you in class. And until next time, hang in there.